The Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support, now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in New York City, Washington, Los Angeles, Miami, San Francisco, many other cities. They've also formed Hashtag Chefs for America, a coalition of restaurants and tech companies working together to provide meals to Americans that need assistance, and they're supporting workers and local hospitals who are working in wartime-like conditions, as well as local restaurants who've been impacted by the COVID-19 crisis. How are they doing that? By launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to everyone on the front lines. Go to wck.org to learn about initiatives like Frontline Foods, Off Their Plate, Feed the Frontline in Los Angeles, and East Bay Feed ER. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Learn more. Go to wck.org. We're also brought to you by Spotify. I don't know if you know this, but they own The Ringer and they have an awesome podcast app on Spotify. All you have to do, search for your favorite podcast on Spotify's app. They have a library of over 750,000, including all of The Ringer Podcast Network pods. Uh, once you find the pod, you like click on the follow button near the top. That's how you subscribe. And then later you go back to the app. You'll find that the little letters on the top that say podcast. That'll have all your podcasts separated by episodes, downloads, and shows. On Spotify, you can even adjust the speed of the pods to seven different speeds. You can go as fast as three times if you're insane. Uh, you can do 1.2, which is my favorite. Sounds like everyone's had a good cup of coffee. Or you can go all the way down to 0.5, and I sound like I'm drunk at 0.5. So there you go. Uh, the Spotify app connects to a lot of different cars out there. It's got a great CarPlay feature. I don't want to app shame you, but you should be embarrassed if you're not at least trying out a podcast on Spotify, make the move, listen to podcasts on Spotify. I recommend it. There you go. Uh, coming up, the 2000 redraftables that I did with Ryan Rossillo on my podcast, the Bill Simmons podcast, and we are rerunning it right here. Here we go. Unlike Shaq, Kobe's gonna attack. Like she's a three quads playing that D. LeBron hits him with that steal, and you already feel. Pass it to Luke, yeah, he's gonna juke yeah, yeah. It's a book of basketball, yeah. It's a book of basketball, yeah. It's a book of basketball, yeah. It's a book of basketball. All right, so we've been redrafting. How about the fact that we didn't realize we should be calling this the redraftables? Took took a reader last week to to send an email being like, hey man, why aren't you calling these redraftables? Like, I don't know. So we've done 96, 97, 98, 99. Uh, one was on you your are feed. calling them that? Yeah, we're calling them redraftables now. It's just okay. better. I, I just thought when I, yeah, I don't know. I thought that that was what it was, but I guess- Better you know, for the poster. That guy. Yeah. So uh, you can find all the old ones. If it, the easiest way to find them is on the Book of Basketball pod, or you can search for Solo's archive for one. You can. We did this one last week. We did 2000. The real reason we wanted to start this whole redraftables thing was just to do the 2000 draft. This is our favorite draft. It, it is. I wrote once that the best thing anyone ever said about this draft was, "Well, at least nobody ever killed someone from this draft." <laughs> I. That might be the the most praise you could go. Uh, the, the, the stats are incredible. Only five guys out of 58 potentially could have been like a real important starter on a playoff team. 
There were seven lottery whiffs. Stromile Swift was the number two pick. We had a Prisbilla, Dueling, Moiso, Thomas, Alexander, Cleves, Collier run for six straight picks from nine to 15. We had the 17th through 23rd picks were better than picks two through 14. We had the poor Clippers who had 310 and 18, and it turned out to be the worst draft ever. So they're rebuilding thing. They're, and there's more facts we'll get into, but this draft was bad in the moment. And there were a lot of reasons for it, uh, which we've talked about in other pods where the one and done and the high scores and all that, it was just depleting, depleting the uh, possible draft assets. Sometimes the draft class, you just have bad luck. Yeah, it, it ebbs and flows depending on the year. But we knew it that college season because it was a lousy college year. Can, can you name the four best guys in the 2000 National Championship title game? Um, is that Mateen Cleaves? Yeah, there's one. Uh, Mo Pete. Yeah. Do you remember who he played? Did they play Florida? Yeah. Mike Miller. Yeah. Andrew DeClerc. Udonis Haslam, 18 years Udonis old. Udonis Haslam. Ah, damn it. You were a big Teddy Dupay guy back then. I love Teddy Dupay. <laughs> Still hold that <laughs> hope. Keep your fingers crossed. But that was you one know, where they used him the right way. Cleve sprains his ankle in the second half and still ends up being the MVP of the final four. But it was the first bad college basketball tournament we'd ever had. It was up until through 99, it delivered the goods year after year. And that year, it was like, what's going on? It was like one of those summer movie seasons where there's just no good movies. You're like, what's going on? Where are the movies? So um, But it was good for Izzo, though, by the way. It felt like Izzo needed something there to to then be because I I just think the world of Izzo. So I wanted like whenever you were getting into arguments about which college coaches you like, because it's it's fascinating in the basketball world, like how many people think some of the biggest name coaches at the biggest name programs that have had these unbelievable careers, they think they're absolutely terrible in-game coaches. Right. Where Izzo would be the guy that gets all that respect. And it just Izzo's the whole consumption of Izzo would have been dramatically different had he not pulled that one off. So so this draft. The Nets had the first pick, Vancouver second, Clippers third, Chicago fourth. Our top four were Kenya Martin, Stromile Swift, Darius Miles, and Marcus Pfizer. Orlando, Atlanta, Chicago, Cleveland, and the next four, Mike Miller, DeMar Johnson, Chris Mim, Jamal Crawford. And then we finished it out with nine through 14, Houston, Orlando, Boston, Dallas, Orlando again, Detroit. Joel Prisbilla, Keon Dooling, Jerome Muiso, Etan Thomas, Courtney Alexander, Mateen Cleaves, Jason, Coll- uh, Jason Collier went 15. Um, it was weird when it was happening. There was not a lot of excitement. There was enough uh, of a dearth of prospects that Darius Miles all of a sudden became super exciting. He was from St. Louis. There was some KG stuff with him where it's like, this could be another KG. But if you actually watch the clips of him in high school, there's no resemblance to KG at all. (laughs) He's basically a six foot 11 jump shooting small forward who can't shoot, but a good athlete, fun, carried himself a certain way. But I I don't know how the KG thing started. And, uh, And just a mess all the way around. When you look at, when you look at just the first round, what jumps out? I just need to clean up something here. I was thinking of Donnell Harvey. Florida. DeClerc is still on my mind because of the 96 draft that we did. So DeClerc had declared years earlier. So I just want to make sure I cleaned that up. Darius is big for me because he was supposed to be going to St. John's. 
And St. John's was still pretty relevant. And, you know, our test had just been there. Uh, Eric Barkley's in this draft, too. And Eric Barkley could could score. But he, like a lot of guys, was just another big-time scoring undersized guard that never gets a sniff of the NBA uh, after the first couple of years. So Miles was supposedly going. But you're right. Like, I went back and watched the beginning of this draft on YouTube. It was a TNT broadcast, which I do want to bring up with you later. And after Kenyon Martin goes one, it's we're still in this new world, which you wouldn't have thought of. Where they're like, man, five straight underclassmen and Darius Miles, you know, and you're just like, yeah, oh, that's right. It was still weird. And people would be complaining like a Dick Vitale would come on and be like, how come you're not taking Mateen Cleaves? Like, I remember him losing his mind that Mateen Cleaves didn't go higher after he'd had this epic run because that's Vitale what he does. He just gets super mad that the older kids, he used to just do it ad nauseum. And you're just like, well, that's and honestly, Mateen Cleaves went higher than he should have, even in a bad draft, because it just people kind of kind of see Mateen Cleaves and go, yeah, I don't, I don't really think he's a good pro, even though this whole class was so bad. So that was kind of the thing that going back and watching the YouTube cuts of the draft picks and the analysis, where even though it's 2000, which, yes, it's 20 years ago, but it doesn't feel that long ago, it still felt like this uncharted world of, look at him taking all these underclassmen. So some facts... Kenyon Martin and Michael Red, the only guys who earned more than $100 million in this draft. Only four cracked 50-win career shares. Turkaloo, uh, Mike Miller, Michael Red, Jamal Crawford. Only five played 20,000 career minutes, which is like, normally that number is double figures. There were only three All-Stars from this draft. Michael Red, Kenyon Martin, impossible. Jamal McGlure. And this is even better than only three All-Stars. Only 61 combined all-star minutes from this draft. <laughs> Everyone in this draft played now it's 61 just, minutes of the all-star game. Uh, that's just being dirty. That's like, wait a minute, only three. I mean, three all-star selections for an entire class ever. Not three guys were all-stars, three selections. And then our research department decided to be even meaner with that minute total. Is this Zach? No, I'm getting to him in a second. I oh, had okay. two more for, for me. 11 of the first 15 picks played less than 12,000 career minutes. 11 of the first 15. Uh, six of the first 15 picks played fewer than 350 games. So now uh, Zach Cram from The Ringer, he had a couple extras here. We call these Zachs. Michael Red, the only person who made an All-NBA team, he made All-NBA third team. Um, this is the only time in, in recent draft history, like in the modern era of the draft, where only one person from a draft made an All-NBA team. The players uh, that we mentioned now, only three All-Stars. The second lowest total from the latter era for players from a draft making the All-Star team was 13. So it was, this was this. All was right, so three. say that again. So the, so the second lowest in the lottery era, so we're going back to 85 here. Yeah. Is 13 All-Stars. And 13, All-Star, 13 All-Star games. 13 All-Star games. 13 All-Star games. This one had three games. That, Three games. Well, you total. don't even need to say anything else. It's the only draft ever in the latter era without multi all stars. There was not a single guy who made more than one all star team, and then uh, an average of thirteen point seven career win shares, the fewest for any draft in the latter era. So it's just a train wreck all the way through and through. Fortunately, there was a lot of comedy. We had uh, Reggie Theus interviewed Elgin Baylor and described him <laughs> after as quote. A veteran of the lottery process. He said this with a, a straight face. Like this was a compliment, an asset. 
He's a veteran of the lottery process. You know what that means? You suck as a GM when you're a veteran of the lottery process. So that happened. That's uh, the nicest way to say you suck as a GM. That's yeah. amazing. Veteran. That's like when they call uh, like some local radio host, like veteran, veteran local so-and-so. It just means you've bounced around locally and worked at a bunch of different stations. So we had we had an all-stiff draft night trade of Joel Prisbilla for Jason Collier to future number one. That happened. We had a green room watch with somebody who didn't even end up being good, Jake Tescalitis, who I think you were in on a Sacalitas. little bit. Tescalitis. Yeah. He fell to 25 because people well, were worried some, about his contract. Yeah. yeah. They should have been worried about his talent. <laughs> we had a... Uh, we had... A, a surprising moment when the Clippers took Miles third. Nobody saw that coming. And he came out. It took him forever to come out. He had a cream-colored suit on, put a blue Clippers hat on it. And he did, he he legitimately hugged Stern in a way that in 2000 was not something we saw at the draft. So Rip Hamilton and Hug Stern the year before. This one was almost genitals to genitals. Now we see like Goodell's <laughs> hugging everybody. But normally you just shook hands, maybe a shoulder tap. Miles went in for like a real hug, like he was catching up with an uncle at Thanksgiving or something. So that made it first. And then after that, uh, Charles Barkley was doing this draft and he just went nuts on the Clippers. And this was right after he had retired. We were getting, oh, could Barkley be the next Madden for these drafts? Barkley said, I don't think the Clippers are a good environment for Miles. They're a terrible organization. I hope he gets out of there. The Clippers are one of the problems in sports. The perfect example of a team that lets all their good players go every year. They're giving their fans a bad product. And just like went in on them. And it was like the first exciting draft announcing moment in the history of, of the draft where somebody actually was like going in. Um, we also had, oh, my favorite moment for my dad. It did the, I did the draft diary that year. Um, the Bulls took somebody named Dalibor Bagarich. Yeah. Number 24. At this point, we had the sporting news where they would put, they had like mock drafts at this point in the sporting news. And my dad looked down and he said, he's not on my list. And just seemed more confused than anything. Um, Dalibor Bagarich. Just, it was like, where did this guy yeah, come from? He's a big from? German. So, uh, yeah, a lot of... Uh, three years of the Bulls. Three years. We're going to redraft. So each one, um, ranking the guys from super duper stars of five, quality starter is a one, all stars a two star. This is the only draft we're probably ever going to do where there's no two star guys. I think, would you, would you rate... You don't Kenny have one two star... Yeah, I think Kenny Martin, I would rate him as a quality starter. I wouldn't rate him as an all-star. Would you? And you mean perennial all-star. Just like all-star. Was there an all-star in this draft? I think the answer is no. Michael Red had a really nice stretch. He did. It we're, took him a while to get him. going, but I know once we get to him and that whole thing, because he was a second rounder, and I think if you look at the, the cumulative stats, the analytics, um, you know, he he holds up well compared to all these other guys. So we can either do the redraft or whatever. But I, I would like to just before we do that, I, I want to ask you because you got to do the draft yeah. at ESPN. And yeah. as I've said, two thousand, you go back and you look at the production. It's TNT. I'd be saying the same stuff if it was ESPN because I don't really care. Um, we know Ernie's a glue guy, backbone keeps the thing, you know, going in the right direction. 
But you had John Thompson up there who didn't know anything about anybody. Hubie, who didn't know anything. And then they brought by Rick Majerus for like comic relief. And he actually, it's just fascinating that even in 2000, we would have the NBA draft on television and you wouldn't really have anybody that you knew was putting in the time and doing the scattering reports. And the NBA hadn't really had, I mean, this is even pre-chat Ford being on the radar. And now we have a bunch of different guys that are locked into kind of that draft thing. But I don't know what I want though. Like I go back and watch it. Like Majerus said at one point, no, no, Hubie said this. Hubie said that that our test is better as a two guard, struggles as a small forward. And then he turned into one of those best small forwards in the league. Um, when they were talking about like rosters and how people <laughs> fit and people freaking out about Chris Mim not going to the Bulls because the Bulls needed size. And so what the guys were doing, because they weren't putting any time into it, you could just tell that they're like, all right, the Bulls don't have a center. They have Elton Brand. Well, they got to take Chris Mim. And like Thompson would say, oh, I saw this kid play. And he'd be like, oh, wow, John Thompson saw him play in high school. And then would follow it up with like really no depth to it. So it was a bunch of people on the desk for this really important night that you and I probably take too seriously. And you go, that's amazing that you could have a TV product. And this isn't like it's 1978. Yeah. It's in 2000, and nobody, they don't have anybody there that actually like put in real depth and real scanner reports. And I'm thinking, is that just because nobody thought and wanted that? Did we just want big names? Because I remember even at ESPN, like we'd have Stephen A, we'd have Mark Jackson, you'd have Van Gundy. None of those guys were watching any of this stuff. They're not on Synergy or Second Spectrum breaking all this. Like I remember Stephen A, there was a pick. He goes, well, I've, he's like, I've never seen the brother play, but I hate this pick. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, so. I don't know what I want, right? Like, what is it that I want? Because sometimes the stuff I want may be a boring television product, and you got to do it. And I'm sure there were times where you felt like, hey, we're doing the wrong thing, and we should be doing this, and the TV guy probably telling you you're wrong. Right. I I feel like everybody has to have a role. I thought we did a good job with the draft, but we everybody had a role. Like, Billis was the college guy, which is sorely missing from the 2000 draft telecast you just talked about because John Thompson's not going to say anything. And he, I don't even think he was in college anymore at that point. But Billis is the guy who... No, Escher had taken over by then. Go ahead. Billis was the guy who had seen all these guys play and then was crunching tape on them and doing the thing. So you, you could trust him. Jalen, I think, at least the first year was still on the college show. So he was at least seeing these guys in person, had a feel for them, but could talk more about, um, you know, like, what's it like? what you're like in college versus what you could blossom into. And then my thing was more trying to figure out what the teams were doing, you know, and that's stuff where you really need somebody out there who's like, oh, they're doing this because they're actually, they have these guys eligible for free agency and they've got it, blah, blah, blah. And you just got to know all the moving chess pieces. And it, it, that's not something you can study. You have to either know it or you don't know it. Um, and that was something where even like when Van Gundy was on, Van Gundy's brain, like he doesn't, know what the cap situation and, and sh stupid shit like that. You kind of have to know that stuff on the fly because there's trades too. And if a trade happens, you have to go, all right, well, why'd they do that? Well, what, what's the purpose of this? And, and almost like react like we would on a podcast. So it, it's a night that has a lot of moving pieces. And if you have people that aren't totally versed on at least whatever their specialty is supposed to be, it's going to go really badly. But nobody yeah, cared. But nobody cared in 2000, though. This wasn't like a huge event back then. But I've seen ESPN lineups were, and I understand, like, I think TV executives, they err on the side of names where they go, let's put our biggest stars on these shows and we'll figure it out. 
But I really think if you're going to have a draft on and it's going to be five hours of this stuff, like the shtick and the zings, like after a while, like if you don't know anything about the players, um, I got to a point where I stopped watching on TV. I mean, I did it six years for radio. Yeah. And I said, the only way I'm doing it is an analyst. I'm not going to host it. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't even let me on the radio one for a bunch of years. And then after like the first year, they go, can you come back next year? And I was like, yeah, no problem. And then, you know, a couple of years I did, did it with Scott after the fact, which is great. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Like here I was after the draft is done. I'm on sports center with Scott Van Pelt breaking the whole thing down. And it was, uh, you know, cause I worked pretty much nonstop on it. And, um, I don't know. I, I just watching in 2000, I'm going, this was, this was like considered good. And that would get destroyed if it happened. Now, if somebody said, Hey, let's just put a bunch of, you know, NBA cronies on and we'll wing it. I really like doing it. The shocking thing about it that I hated was how fast the picks came because it was five minutes between picks. So the guy walks out, he shakes hands, then he has the interview with whoever. And that's like three and a half minutes. And Billis is doing his whole breakdown. That's a prepackaged thing. And then you basically have like a minute to react before the next pick, which isn't, you know, you're talking like lottery picks. Like when Cleveland took Anthony Bennett, that we could, we could have talked about that for 15 minutes, but it's like, all right, on to the next one. Who's number two. And it's like, Cleveland just took a guy who, if they didn't take him there, might've fallen out of the top 10. Like we should, we should be talking about this. So I wish it was 10. I personally think the lottery should be its own night and I would make it 14 picks. That's it. Uh, 15 minutes between picks or 12 minutes between picks. Let's really go into this and make it like a dramatic night and then do the rest of it later. But I, I, I think I'm the only one who would probably want that. I would like it, but we're wrong. We know we're wrong on this. Yeah, because they wanted to move right. and they want to get yeah. everything done in one night, all that stuff. But it should at least be for the lottery. It should be 10 minutes between picks or eight minutes or something. You should get more time. Because it's, you know, you've got so many different people on it. You'd have... Now that Woj is part of it, who really is the most important thing because he knows all the moving pieces of right. all this stuff. But when you don't have the news guy, you need a news guy. You need somebody who's seen them play. And then the other thing that's tough, and this is where Billis's role is really challenging, despite what an authority is on the college game in comparison to most of the people that he's sitting on the set with over the years when I've watched it on ESPN, is that it's really tough to go up there and, and just let me... I'll just pick Laurie Markkinen, right? You know, because I, I actually think Laurie Markkinen could be okay, set back a bit this year. But like, say Laurie Markkinen's taken seventh, and Billis goes, "This guy sucks, total stiff, fraud, can't can't dribble, can't shoot." You know, it, it, that's you can't really do that. Even though that would be the best, it would be awesome if somebody just decided, "Hey, that's who I'm going to be on one of these draft shows, NFL or NBA." You know, you don't have to say sucks necessarily. But everything is spun into a positive because there's this very delicate thing of like not wanting to ruin a kid's night. Well, that was a big thing for Jalen, especially because you could hear the people in the arena could hear us at least one of the years. Um, but Jalen was like, this is the best night of this kid's life. I'm not going to trash the pick. I'm just not going to do it. So, and I was in the spot where it was like, all right, there's going to be some bad picks and we're going to have to like dance around, you know, oh man, why'd they do that? But you can't, guy's whole family's watching so it's, it's definitely a delicate balance true true or false did you feel more comfortable trashing a euro pick just because of the language barrier no i i i loved it <laughs> i i gotta say i was most fun i've had on tv were the two drafts i really had a good time because i was such a fan of what was happening too it was it, it felt pretty natural 
to just be like sitting with two other guys that I hosted that they were doing, just be like, oh, what'd you think of that pick? Ah, well, here's what I thought. And you just kind of go. It was really great. I enjoyed it. Would you say it was one of those moments, despite the success, where you have this little moment where you kind of look around and go, like, holy shit, I'm actually going to do this? Because it goes away oh, yeah. the more successful you are, you know? No, that one, because I had done the draft diaries for really from 97 to 2012, and then all of a sudden I'm there. But the first one we did was Stern's draft. It was his last one. So I saw, I remember I saw him before the draft and he just gave me, we, it was a handshake, but he gave me that look like the same way somebody's dad would look at them when you're about to take their daughter out to the prom <laughs> or something. Just kind of like, don't fuck me on this. It was one of those looks. And, uh, and it was, it was hilarious. It was his last one. And he was like milking the crowd and waving, you know, waving them to boo him more and all that stuff. It was pretty funny. And people don't know this too, that Stern, and it's, it's through the NBA media thing, but if you're going to be on the air covering any kind of NBA product, you have to like fill out this form and then be approved by the league. So when I did a couple Celtics games, I had to fill out this stuff and they're like, you're fine. And then I remember when I was trying to get on the draft show for radio before I was even allowed on it, because I had still, I had been at ESPN since 06. And I was like, hey, look, I go to Portsmouth, I go to Orlando, and then I was hosting the Combine um, in Chicago, which I did for five years. I go, you know, can I, can I get on to this thing? And I remember, you know, again, just a lie. And they were like, well, you know, there's some people in the NBA that really don't like you. And so we can't get you approved to be part of an NBA broadcast product. And I was like, really? Ooh. So then knowing me, I call up somebody in the NBA that week. I go, hey, do you guys have a problem with me over there? And he was like, that's 100% not true. He's like, even if you said stuff we don't like, people like you. You're not an asshole. You care. You're a voice for the NBA type of thing. You're one of those guys that obviously loves this league. They're like, whoever told you that you're not on the broadcast because we have a problem with you, straight up lie to your face. And I was like, awesome. We're going to do uh, the redraft. Do you like when I take these moments to kind of do a little therapy session on something that went wrong? No, because I, I think I think we both love the draft and we got to be there in the room for it a couple of times and, and work it. It was still fun. It was awesome. It was awesome. I loved it. I think the 2013 draft would be a great documentary. I, Anthony Bennett was supposed, plus you had, I think that was the first draft when Woj was just tweeting the picks before uh, ESPN was. And I remember like going on my phone and just seeing who the next pick was going to be. So I could be, it was either that year or 14. One of the two I did, he just had all the picks before they were coming out in the stage. And he just was completely upending it. Do you remember when Jeff Goodman at one point, one year, he had somebody in the pipeline who was just giving him the pick. Right. And that was crazy because then Jeff Goodman was tweeting out every pick, not as breaking news, but like, hey, this is officially the pick. And he just had it all night long because somebody, he had a guy. So the Nets had the first pick in 2000. They took Kenyon Martin in Cincinnati. Do you want the first pick or the second pick? What do you want? <laughs> you want to go one or two? I'll go one. All right. So will Kenyon Martin go first again in our uh, redraftables? Yes or no? Okay. Um, there is a case against him analytically here. If you want to go VORP, you know, he's, he's behind guys. If you want to go win shares, that kind of stuff. Um, there's a couple people behind him. You know, he was older coming in. 
And I would say as much as like, I, I've always had this thought, if you're going to be really, really good, maybe not just great tier, but below that are really, really good. You're probably going to figure it out no matter what the fit. But Martin and Richard Jefferson going to play with Jason Kidd is the best thing that could have ever happened to him. It really was. And I think Martin, what he gave you, even as a notch, like, I'm probably going to go with him versus Red's health. So I'm still going to take Martin number one, even though there are strong arguments with like two or three other names. I just I just like the whole Kenyon Martin thing, even though it was probably a little underwhelming for an overall number one pick. And offensively, he was a non-factor for a good chunk of the end of his career. So I think he was a better asset than Michael Red when they were both healthy. He also had a knee injury and he had the microfracture surgery. Michael Red blew out his ACL during the uh, 08-09 season. Twice. Uh, yeah. Right. yeah. Um, so here's the case for Kmart. And I agree with you. I thought he should have been first pick. Second best player in two finals teams. I think that matters. Um, ruined Antoine Walker's career. <laughs> he really did. And I coincidentally, I rode an airplane to Chicago with him, just randomly sitting next to him in mid-February and didn't talk to him the whole time because I hate talking to people who get talked to all the time. But then he kind of was looking, he was side-eyeing me near the end and then he was like, hey man, you Bill? And so we just started talking. And I was like, you broke my heart in 02. Like, I thought we had you guys. I went to those games. And I was like, you just destroyed Antoine. And he was saying, when he went into the NBA, he just started talking about it. We're landing. And he's like, I went into the NBA and Antoine was an all-star in the East. And I was like, I, I got to I gotta beat that guy. That's going to be the guy that I'm just going to be better than them. Because if I'm better than him, then I'm the all-star in the East. And if you go back and watch those series, like he he just kills him. Antoine couldn't figure out what to do against him. His 03 and 04 in the playoff, they make the finals in 03 and have a really good series against the Pistons in 04. They lose. He was 19 and 10. Solid. Good, really above average defensive player. I thought, I thought like not like a defensive player of the year, but definitely like an all-defense kind of forward. Yeah, any of the bigs, any of the bigs that could play bigger than they were and then also hang athletically with any of the perimeter stuff, it just allowed you to do stuff. I mean, that's why, you know, I've mentioned how much I always love the piston structure of of switching guys. But, you know, when you can switch and not give up stuff, that's that's what Kenyon was doing on top of running. I mean, I, I, I like this game. Him. I got to be honest. I, did too. I, I, I did really too. enjoyed his game. He got... Signed and traded to Denver in 2004, and I forgot. So this is July 15th, 2004. Denver, it's three first-round picks they end up giving up. Two of them were lottery-protected. The one, the Denver pick that was in there actually was like very lightly protected. The picks ended up being Joey Graham, Ronaldo Balkman, and Marcus Williams. But, you know, he made $113 million. He had real value. He was also on that Denver team in 2009. He wasn't one of the best three players at that point that almost made the finals. Pretty good career. Like you definitely can't call him a bust. Like he made a no, lot of money no, and no, yeah. No, and then no. had, had some good moments. So I thought that was a good pick. I had a uh, Michael red second. Um, Can I just finish with one Kenyan thing though? I'm sorry. Yeah. I know it's annoying, but I remember, you know, I love tough guys. I love the real tough guys as opposed to the fake guys that do stuff. And when I asked a Nets guy, I go, you play with, with Kenyon, right? And I go, what's the story there? They're like, no, no, he's all the way real do. And he goes, you actually like guys were fucking scared of him straight up. Antoine and, was. And I'm like, yeah, but this is his own teammates. Oh, I'm like, you guys were scared of him. And we're like, yeah, like if he would get into it and you were fucking with him in practice, like he, he'd do this thing. He'd be like, better get my name out your motherfucking mouth. 
And then like guys would be like, whoa, we're supposed to be on the same team here. So I love hearing stuff like that, though, because that means you know that that's somebody who's not going to wilt. So there's a cut. So I like this conversation. There's a couple guys. Oakley was obviously the the captain of this team, but there's some guys over the years, and you talk to anybody from that era, and they're like, they're difference between the tough guys in the game, but the actual like don't fuck with that guy guys. Stackhouse was another one like that. Yeah, I'd heard that too. I've heard it's, that for years. Yes, yeah. yeah, there's famous Stackhouse stories, him punching out Kirk Snyder after a game and shit like that. Um, Tony Allen, I think, was like that. Where it's like, yeah, don't don't actually fuck with Tony Allen. Like, you can tra- talk trash with him on the court. Uh, don't actually fuck with him because he, he'll go there. And I think... Yeah, Zach Randolph. Zach Randolph is another one. Yeah, don't... You you can have a little fun, do a little trash talk, but don't go too far. Um, but I yeah, think Kenyon, Kenyon wasn't having it. Yeah, Kenyon was legit. He definitely was like that. All right, my second pick, and this would be for Vancouver was picking the spot. Poor Vancouver, just getting slaughtered in these drafts. I feel uh, like there's not enough bring a team back to Vancouver support as there is for the Sonics. Would you agree? Yeah. <laughs> no, I th- I think we have. Seattle and Vancouver would be my top two picks for to have NBA teams again. Oh, you you actually think they should have a team again? Yeah. I was kind of... I think they got host. Yeah, I think they got host too. I I don't understand why people wouldn't... You know, look, there's there's always going to be this Canadian thing that some guys from down here... I'd rather live in Vancouver than a lot of cities. Me too. Michael Redd is my second pick. He, from 2004 through 2008, four seasons, he averaged 24 a game. I didn't realize it was that money. Uh... 45% 45% field goal, 37% from three. He was one of those uh, old school um, old school guys from, if you just put them forward 15 years, probably would have had a much more fun career. Probably would have taken eight or nine threes. Third team on NBA. And then uh, when he tore his knee again in the 08-09 season, it was over. But he was a guy, Milwaukee wasn't very good in the mid-2000s. I don't think anybody was in more fake trades than him. I know I personally threw him into about 100, but it was always one of those, oh, you know, if they could package blah, 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 and this and get Michael Red, that could be the missing piece. And he just was in that group for three, four years. I liked his game, too. Thought he was good. Um, so that's my second pick. Now you're up on the clock three. I'll be interested to see what you do here. I, I think there's like a no-brainer number three pick. Uh I don't know if I yeah, Red blew out his his ACL and MCL in the same left knee twice. Yeah. And you're right. Like he has that stretch where you go, man, he went off. And then when it was over, it was absolutely over. But he'd signed that you got a six year extension back then. And that was the first year where LeBron, I was going back and looking at the two thousand five free agency stuff. And after a free agency, they got Larry Hughes and Danielle Marshall when they wanted Red, they wanted Joe Johnson. I don't know. He was talking about trying to recruit Bosch out of there, which didn't was going to be way too early unless they were going to try to tell him to force a trade and bully him. But uh, yeah, people thought Michael Red was going to go there because he went to Ohio people State. Thought Red. Yeah, that's right. They thought he was going to go there. But remember, like the, the raises were bigger incrementally year to year than they are now. They, they used to make more of an incentive for you to stay home with the longer deal and the better raises. And Red was like, look, I'm going to stay here. But that team, you're right. Like they, they had 42 wins. Because it took for a while to get Red started. It was really his fourth year when he was like, whoa, this guy's awesome. And then that team never won more than 42 games. Okay. Uh, 
I guess I just wanted to use my free agency notes there because I wrote them down. Sorry. You I think enjoyed the it. third pick is obvious. I do. Right now, there's there's two names. Give it. Give them. Who's on here. your board? Let's hear it. Well, it's Miller or Turkaloo. Okay. And Miller is another guy. When you go back, Red wasn't as surprising. There's some Miller stretches where you go, man, he he lit it up a little bit. And the second leg of his career, kind of like our Ray Allen Allen Iverson thing. But I actually think I like Peak Turkaloo better than Miller. So I'm wow. going, going Turkaloo. Okay, make the case. Well, if I have to start with 15 years, um, I love that he went to Sacramento when people were kind of like, ah, Paige is in his way. It wasn't, <laughs> it was just like, why? Because he's another tall white guy that's not from the States. Uh, it took a while, but from 0405 till 2010. And what he did and how he fit into that Orlando team. Like, I just thought he had moments during those Orlando runs where Turkaloo was like an incredibly talented, scary guy. I know he floats. I know his rebounding numbers are pretty, uh, you know, they're just not as good as you'd want him to be. But he actually became like a pretty good playmaker there for Orlando there towards the end. I know the end was, you know, by the time he's back in Orlando 33, Clippers the last couple of years, it's kind of over a stint with Phoenix. But this is more of a talent thing where I think the peak version of Turkaloo was somebody who could get me a tougher bucket than Miller. And I think he's another one that 10 years later, you'd be running a lot of the stuff like they were doing anyway in these playoff games for, um, for Orlando, which we did one of them on the book of basketball. We did game four of the 09 Lakers series where they're coming out, setting a screen, spreading the floor for him. And he was pretty crafty. I, I, I don't totally understand why Sacramento couldn't figure out how to use him. And then he goes to San Antonio for the 0304 season where they lose basically in that Fisher shot. I think they would have won the title that year. And they couldn't really figure it out either. And it wasn't until he got to Orlando that he got unleashed as this guy who's like, I'm going to score 60 in a game. I'm going to make almost 40% of my threes. I don't really need the ball all the time, but, but in crunch time, you can kind of go to me and I'm weirdly reliable. Um, I don't understand why Sacramento couldn't figure out how to play him and Page it together. You would have thought, like, great, put both of them out there with C Web. Like, let's go. What are you trading him for Brad Miller for? I thought that was that was very strange. Can I read you the names of the Ron in the trade? Yeah. All right, because I was yeah, perfect. That's exactly what I was gonna do right now. Cause it's some awesome names in this. So it's a three-teamer, Indiana, Sacramento, and San Antonio. And the only thing we know for sure is that Indiana is just going to end up with white guys. Like, however this plays out, they're getting white guys in the trade. So, Indiana trades Brad Miller to Sacramento. And they trade Ron Mercer to the Spurs. Turkaloo also goes to the Spurs. Sacramento trades Scott Pollard to Indiana. And San Antonio trades Danny Ferry to Indiana. It's It's a double Caucasian boon for the Pacers. And uh, and Turkaloo is by far the best guy in that trade. I, I did enjoy that one Brad Miller season on the Kings, but um, it seemed like a heist. I remember writing this at the time. What a heist for the Spurs. Like, really excited to see Turkaloo and the Spurs. Never really happened. It wasn't until the Magic that he kind of found his, his place. Um, I think the Magic contract, though, was... Like, I think at the time that was, I bet you if you go back and look at this, you're like, what are the magic doing? Like, they're giving Turkaloo this much money, but he yeah. was only, 
at 0405, we're talking him being 25 years old. And the reason, you know, at first when you mentioned the Pacers getting rid of Brad Miller and you're talking about like Brad Miller was so white, he counted as two white guys. So that's why they had yeah. to get Ferry and Pollard back. Right. <laughs> like anybody that packs a dip in the fourth quarter of a game, <laughs> we need at least two white guys to make up for his whiteness. It would have been fun to have Brad Miller in the Artest melee, though. I'm, I feel like we were cheated out of that. I'm taking uh, Mike Miller with the fourth pick. So Kenny Martin, one. Michael Red, two. Turkaloo, three. Mike Miller, four. Mike Miller, third on my board. I couldn't be happier right now. 41% three-point shooter. Career. Career. I mean, that Six includes- man of the like, year. That Six includes man of the year. five years with his luggage at the end of his career and still finished over 41%. Uh, 05 through 08 on Memphis on some pretty sneaky good Memphis teams. 15, 5, and 5, 48, 42, 78% splits, 42% from three, that whole stretch, playing a lot of minutes. Game five, 2012 finals, seven for eight from three, 23 points. You mentioned uh, how Battier had that huge game seven in 2013. Miller did the same thing in game five. And that was one of those series that it was a 4 1 finals. The consensus now is that, oh, yeah, Miami won in five. They had it the whole way. Those first four games all came down to like one or two plays. And even in game five, I didn't feel like that series was done. Miller came out, shot the lights out. Um, had that not happened, they would have gone back to OKC for game six and seven. So it, was, it wasn't a must win. I think every finals game is a must win. But um, there's a scenario where, you know, Durant gets hot in that game five and maybe it goes back to OKC. Now the crowd's going nuts. Who knows? LeBron hadn't won a title yet. There's different variables. Miller shut it all down. He was awesome in that game. Probably my, the jump shot I was the most jealous of just personally. Like if, if you could have bought somebody's jump shot on eBay, I think, I think I would have taken Mike Miller. Who would you have taken? Ray. Yeah. So Ray's the other choice there. I really like yeah. Mike Miller's jump shot. Uh, but, you know, Miller, Miller's a good pick. And uh, was it close for you on, on Turkaloo or Miller? Or were you, like, adamant? Because I was, I was split going into it. I always, I always liked him. And I just thought he was in weird situations for most of his career that um, if he kind of just did his career 10 times, I think there's these universes where, you know, there's times when it, it could have been awesome for him. Um, you look at all the teams that could have drafted him in this draft where it goes New Jersey, Vancouver, Clippers, Chicago, Orlando, Atlanta, Chicago again, Cleveland. I mean, all those teams sucked for years. Any situation he was going to was going to be a bad situation. I it, It's a shame that he couldn't have just gone to a team that was good, but for one year ended up in the lottery, you know, where he was like just playing with good players all the time because I always thought he had a really nice feel for the game. I got to read you some Mike Miller trade trivia. So he was the last piece of the Chris Webber, Penny Hardaway trade from 1993. He was the last first round pick. I couldn't believe that when I looked that up today. I was like, yeah. that pick carried over from 1993. He was traded in 2003 with a first round pick for Drew Gooden, which is a trade that just seems abysmal now. I can't believe like, you would have thought Drew Gooden had a first for Mike Miller. No, it's the other way. Then... He was in that crazy K-Love, O.J. Mayo, Chris Wallace fiasco where Chris Wallace, I what did he have? The fifth pick? Yeah. And he 
I, I forget what it is. No, it was but, four. Did he have four and he went down to five? Yeah, he flips picks so he can end up with OJ Mayo and gives Minnesota Kevin Love and Mike Miller. Both of them. So somehow they Chris Wallace goes with the two best guys in the trade. Still trying to figure that out. And then a year later, um, he's traded with Randy Foy in Joe House's least favorite Wizards Bullets trade of all time. Randy Foy and Mike Miller for the number five pick in 2009, which could have been Steph Curry or Ricky Rubio because Washington didn't have it. Khan ends up getting it and then somehow whiffs and takes Johnny Flynn. And there you go. Um, four trades where the other team probably uh, has the fans have their feelings hurt. I really enjoyed Mike Miller's game. I can't believe he's a top four pick in a redraft, but uh, there we are. Who do you have for five? I just wanted to add to that that draft in 2008 just to make sure we had it right. Um, no, that's right. Yeah, he had, Wallace had five and he traded up to get to three with Mayo and Westbrook went in between them and Westbrook at the time was like four was kind of a reach. Felt like that's as high as yeah. it could possibly go. When we do, um, if we do the 08 redraft, Westbrook will be obviously four or higher, but I loved Westbrook in college. I was stunned when he went for it's, it seemed like you did love him. I did. I ha I have stuff written. I, I, he was like my big sleeper in the draft, but I thought he was like just this energy guy off the bench. I didn't think he was going to be Russell Westbrook. No, I just, no, I don't, nobody I just liked him. Presti didn't. None of those guys did. PJ Carlissimo, who, you know, I became close with. I was like, what was going on there? He goes, I was screaming, banging the table, going, Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez. And he goes, and every time I come back to Presti, Presti be like, eh, we really kind of love the idea of what this Westbrook guy could be. And I'm, I'm telling you, like, you may have liked him, but like for Presti to actually pull the trigger on it, that's well, especially stones. over Kevin Love. Yeah. Because like, I watched that, that UCLA, I watched a lot of that team that year. I watched I just that enjoyed team nonstop. Them. Yeah. For Kevin Love not to be the first UCLA guy off that team in a draft was inconceivable. Westbrook was like the first like couple months seemed like, almost like a six man even on the UCLA team, and then he started to blossom. Cool, because Holiday was still there too. Yeah, man, that team was amazing. You know, they played slower Holland style and all that stuff. So I mean, hell, I, I honestly think like Presti taking Westbrook. When he did with the Great other pick. options, it, it's seriously, I think it's like one of the greatest picks of that decade because you have to go back and go, okay, but what are you actually drafting? And back then we were still a little more position obsessed. You know, it's the same thing like with Turkaloo and, and Pages you were mentioning. Now you just figure it out, which is kind of crazy that like, no, we can't do that. Like we already have a 6'10 white guy. We can't do that. We can't just put another guy out there that can shoot. Like think how stupid it was that we didn't let basketball have this evolution where it's Oh, wait, those guys are both really big and can handle and can shoot. Well, why don't we just let them both play? <laughs> right. And and Westbrook is, is another argument to that. By the way, in that Miller deal, Tuan was actually recycled in that trade. And Brian that's Cardinal. Antoine Walker. Yeah. Who do you have uh, at That's five? actually my pick. Brian Cardinal, the custodian, a.k.a. the janitor, a.k.a. Citizen Payne. Brian Cardinal out of Purdue. Are you Are you being serious right now? No, I just wanted people to freak out oh, about Jesus. the Nash, the Nash Iverson thing. No, all right. So this is where it gets a little interesting, but I do think you're going to go Jamal Crawford. Uh, I liked him more. I thought he would be different. Like he was a guy I liked a lot before this. He ended up going eighth, but just the fact that he put up buckets for this long up until two years ago. I mean, he was in the league last year, so. 
you know, I know he played for a million teams. I'm not saying you're winning any games with him, but he was somebody that just, you know, to, to give you that much. Look, this also has a lot to do with the other options that are out there. I just think value. Hey, am I getting almost 20 years of shooting from this guy, despite that it's a little isolation heavy? Yeah, whatever. I'll take Jamal Crawford. Three, six man in the year awards. I had him at five as well. I think it's the right pick. He's one of those guys. If he's like your eighth guy, incredible. If he's your sixth guy, that that actually <laughs> Good. means. Yeah, but that also means your coach might be playing him in crunch time. Yeah. And if he he's is. one of your best four guys, you're not winning anything, as we found out with the first 10 years of his career. I always kind of liked his game. I mean, he's one of the worst defensive players of any good player of the last 20 years. He was just a complete sieve. But the the thing that was annoying with him on the Clippers near the end there was he really would take the biggest shot of the game. He, yeah. He'd be like, he is the Marcus Smart-itis, where it's like, I got this. And it's like, no, you, I'm not even sure you should be out there with five minutes left. He's, a, he's to me, like, you almost want him the way the Celtics used Eddie House in 2008. That's my dream Jamal Crawford scenario. Give me an awesome 16 minutes a game, instant offense, and then kind of stay out of the way. If I'm trying to win a title. If I'm, yeah, seven, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, you're getting subbed out. Yeah, you have to, you can't play him. Um, he played 74 playoff games, 39% field goal shooter, 31% from three. The other thing with him, there was this thing like that. He was this awesome three point shooter and he, he just wasn't, you know, he was like, he was the master of the four point play, which, you know, congratulations. That's great. But that's not helping me win a title. He just wasn't that good of a three point shooter. And it was one of those guys that always seemed like the shot was going to go in, but it went in a lot less than I think people remembered. So I'm I'm sure people are listening to this going, wait a second, what was wrong with Jamal Crawford? He was awesome. I was like, sorry. Um, he's a nice player, a nice piece to have on a team, but um, you know, just not as good of a shooter as I think he thought he was. He played in big cities, Chicago, New York, Atlanta, LA. He also had a little bit of time with Minnesota Phoenix at the end. He had a Portland run in there, but he like hit all the major markets. I love that he has a nice New York stretch in there. He actually went for 20 a game with the Knicks when he was 27, but he has become oddly overrated a little bit because we've seen the crossover a million times on the internet and it's sick. We've seen him shake people and pull up from deep. The four point plays. I I wouldn't say like, he's not even close whenever you start going like historic, great shooters of all time. You're not talking about Jamal Carr. I think everybody really likes him. Okay. So that's the key it, point. Dudes love this guy. So overrating. Like I feel guilty even saying that a little bit, but the idea of him is like he's a really good player. He had a really long career. He came out really early. It was just one year at Michigan. But I think everybody loves this dude. Every time I see him on a panel or some show, like guys light up a little bit. So he's held up a little bit higher than the fact is that, you know, look, he was never, I don't think of him, like I never felt like Jamal Crawford was a star. And I think sometimes he's talked about that way. So two things there. One of the most popular actual players with the other players. I think he's like on a short list of just knew everybody, everybody loved him. Also yes. really popular with the media. And there was a year when I what the last time he won the six man award or he was up for it. And it was just insane that he was, that he was even a candidate. But I think just the media really liked him. He was always really gracious and thoughtful and awesome to everybody. And, you know, it's smart. It was well played, but um, you know, I think if he's playing 35 minutes for you, you're not, 
you're not making round two of the playoffs. I don't think. Um, my sixth pick. This is where it gets dark. Just for the people listening, here's who's on the board right now. In no particular order. <laughs> Mo Peterson, <laughs> Quentin Richardson, Desmond Mason, Jamal McGlure, Darius Miles, Eddie House, Deshaun Stevenson, Joel Prisbilla. Joel Prisbilla should have gone with Joel Prisbilla. I think he would have been more intimidating. Uh, there's a little speedy Claxton, Ed- Eduardo Nahara, undrafted Malik Allen. I like Nahara. Keon Dooling, that's really what we're looking for here. So I'm going to go with Quentin Richardson because for two years, 0405, he was 16 and six, almost seven threes a game, made 36%. Not great, but not awful, but was, you know, in modern times, more of a three and D guy who could rebound a little bit, a little bit ahead of his time. I liked him on the Suns teams. Um, he was fun with Darius Miles when they were doing the tap their head thing. I think he was a a liked teammate in different places and his career wasn't bad. He became kind of a contract figure there for the second half of it. But um, at least I know he could contribute to a good team because we saw it. So I'm taking him six, Quentin Richardson. He could have been in the mix maybe for five. Yeah. Uh, you know, he ended up being a nice player in, in a good role player where I think you're right. You knew kind of exactly what you were getting from him. And then they did have that little run there with the Clippers where it was just so much fun. But again, that's not necessarily what we're drafting. And that also means that Darius Miles is still available, which I imagine will be available here for a while. This draft, by the way, was one of the drafts that kind of was like, hey, we're still a little wake-up call here. Stop falling in love with the long athletic guys, long length, because Stromile Swift is the poster child for that one. Love Stromile Swift coming out. Um, Stromile Swift was almost instant flame out. I was going back and reading Billy Knight, who was the GM that pulled the trigger. Do you remember the head coach for Vancouver in 2000? Was it Stu Jackson? Is Sidney Lowe. Oh, yeah, he was, didn't he go like nine and 41 or some some terrible record? Six and, and 44? They, I went back and read the article of them being interviewed after the pick. They mentioned, hey, this guy's young. Like every other sentence, every other sentence. And one thing I've always noticed with busts, it's unbelievable how often this repeats itself, is that you don't play nearly as well your rookie year, and then what they do is they give you a ton of minutes in your sophomore year to prove that you do actually suck. And you'll see so many guys that weren't good that have this real nice bump and be like, you know, his best career year was his second season. Right. And it, and it's not because he improved and then fell off. It's because they actually gave you more shots and forced the issue with you, ran more stuff through you just to make sure they could, okay, we actually made a mistake here. And so I stopped. It was kind of my Earl Clark reckoning. Earl Clark, Louisville, long, score, did some stuff at Louisville. And I go, you know what? But if, you, if you're just long and I don't see that you have real basketball skills, this this draft fucked with my head so bad because I was like, stop loving all these really tall guys that can't dribble and can't shoot. The first one was Brad Sellers going back to the 80s. Wow. That's the first time where I, I was just out on those type of guys from that point on because MJ kind of needed Brad Sellers in the late 80s and he just was a stiff. Like he, you know, he was the 6'11 guy who couldn't shoot a rebound. So it's like, well, who, what's left? What are we doing? Yeah. yeah what are we doing? Why here? are you out there? And and you're soft. So, um, yeah, I was shocked yeah. to find out Stromile Swift played for nine seasons. I don't I remember. Know. 
I honestly, if, if we, you and I are two of the bigger basketball fans, I would love to just talk to random people. Maybe this should be a rigor series. What was your favorite Stromile Swift memory? Because I have none. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> anything about his career. They had a dunk on, um, it was another LSU guy who also is one of my other guys for this. Tyrus Thomas. Oh, Tyrus Thomas. Yeah. Right. So Tyrus Thomas. Wait, save it for was, the 06 redraftables because that's when we got to do. Because I remember I was on a flight with a GM leaving Virginia after the Portsmouth tournament. And I go, this Tyrus Thomas run. Because, you know, he and Davis had that really nice run. He goes, oh, my God. And he sold me on Thomas. I'm still young. I'm impressionable. He sold me because he goes, not only can Thomas do all this front court stuff, he can run your offense. He's the sickest athlete. All these different things. And I go, I got to stop liking these guys. Although Tyrus had a little bit more well-rounded stuff in his game. But um, yeah, the Stromile Swift memory, it was going around this week because everybody sent it to me because they know how I feel about Stromile Swift, is he dunks on Tyrus Thomas. And Tyrus gets back into the play to try to reject it. And Swift, I mean, the dunk is one of the best dunks you've seen in a game. It's that awesome of a dunk. But, you know, you get a little bit older, you start thinking, who do I want to marry versus who I want to date? And your evaluations get better. I have an incredible Stromile Swift fact for you. Career record in the playoffs, 0-7. Like games, not not series. Never won a playoff. No, I'm game. aware. <laughs> no, I mean 0 and seven, like not playoff rounds, games, 0 and seven. Never won a playoff game. Nine seasons. So who are you taking seven? You didn't tell me. He actually got a decent second contract by the Rockets, too. But the, but the thing is, he made 42 million, 43 million. Those good athletes who could offensive rebound would just throw you off the scent. You know, you watch the one game. The uh, Ed Pinkney was like that too. Ed Pinkney was way better than Stromile Swift, but those those lanky forwards who could like just get a put back, you're like, oh, that guy, oh, and it was it was always deceiving. Who do you have at seven? Stromile was done as a starter at 25 years old. Yeah, okay, tough. all right. Um, going through the board here, going through the board. We could probably speed it up at this point of the of the redraft. <laughs> 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 almost out of material uh you know i <laughs> i think i'm gonna go eddie house wow i thought i was gonna get him later eddie house do you know how many how many playoff threes he hit in his entire career take guess no i don't I take don't. guess guess 12 no 39 i thought it was gonna be like 120 yeah, I, I knew just it was going to be low because he's not in the playoffs many times. Um, I just figured between the the Phoenix and the two Boston seasons, I don't know why in my head he had made all these threes, but he was in two Boston years, 29 for 68 from three. But he helped win them the title in game he four did. and game six. Like he made huge shots. This is a massive Celtics playoff. But who am I overvalued? Like who am I missing on? There's not another draft room behind me that's freaking out being like, I can't believe they took Eddie House, who one day they found a scattering report on him. And I know I've said this story before, but the scattering report said, won't shoot unless he has the basketball. <laughs> I had him 10th, just so, just so you know, on my board. So oh, it, a, it wasn't a reach. a big upset. On- <laughs> no, it wasn't a reach. I think- oh, it's not a reach. Nothing now is a reach. I thought... I'm going um, to take, take a good locker room guy well soon. so that's the case for Eddie House his awesome locker room guy could actually come in and make a big shot in a game it's not it's not the wrong pick I had Desmond Mason seventh so I'm gonna take him an eighth 
Um, you know, like a bunch of the guys in this draft at his peak was a 15 and five. Um, I just want to say he was enough of an asset that he was basically the centerpiece of the Ray Allen trade. Cause if you look at that trade, it was Gary Payton, who was an expiring contract in Desmond Mason for Ray Allen Ronald Murray, Kevin Ollie, and a 2003 first round pick. That was that, like the fact that Milwaukee basically they gave up their first round pick and Ray Allen so they could get Gary Payton for two months and Desmond Mason. So he had to have had real value back then, unless Ray Allen is the biggest cancer in the world. I didn't realize it, but that's one of the uh, weirder trades. So anyway, I'm taking him. I'm mad that Eddie House is off the board. Who do you have at number nine? I look I, the fact that Eddie House could come in and make big playoff shots that that puts him in another class where a lot of these guys didn't even get the chance to do that. So that's why I'm going. I think it's a reach because I actually meant to take this guy before him and then take Eddie House after. But it looks like what have gone. Uh, Jamal McGlure should have gone this late. He should have gone in either of the last two picks. <laughs> you said that without any irony at all. No, what what are you talking about? Like Jamal McGlore deserves to go seven eighth, not ninth in the two thousand redraft. Jamal McGlore was in the redraftables green room going, What Eddie House, really? <laughs> yeah, it's tough. He made an all-star team. Made an all-star team. And I'm gonna tell you, the more I dug into the Jamal McGlore story, the more I realized the numbers don't don't do it justice. So it's just the unquantifiable Jamal McGlore. He, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't have a lot to add. <laughs> uh, a double, double with new Orleans. You know, I mean, I always kind of liked was- him. I, uh, I am up. This is the 10th pick. <laughs> yeah. 10th pick. Darius miles. Can't fall any further. He, I got to take him here. The case for Darius miles who did get hurt to be fair. He, yes. He is another, like we talked about earlier, these guys that I'm not sure what they did. He couldn't shoot threes, uh, had no post-up game to speak of, was a career 47% shooter, was just a good athlete, was fun to watch on a fast break, had a lot of personality. I'm not really sure what the best case scenario of it was. In Portland, he was playing on the 06 Blazers before he got hurt. He was 14 and four and a half a game basically. But um but had enough value that he got it traded for Andre Miller when Andre Miller had a lot of value. That Clippers Cavs trade. Uh it never totally happened, but I just want to say I really enjoyed him. I was rooting for it the whole time. And I still haven't totally given up on him. We always talk about the guys we haven't given up on yet. I have no idea why I wanted it to happen so bad. I I thought he had a nice feel for the game. Like he was a good passer. He he did he had the right instincts. He just he was like a six foot ten tweener. I six foot nine, I guess. I didn't, never knew what he was supposed to be, or like who was the guy, who was the prototype that he was supposed to be following. And I don't think he knew it either. Yeah, because back then too, we were still doing this McGrady stuff where anybody that was big and handle had a little bit of vision. And it's just a knock. It's almost insulting to McGrady how many different guys we thought would like be these next tall athletic guys. But I'm I'm with you. Like I remember being on the East Coast, and I had a thing for Darius as I mentioned earlier because you know there was I don't think he was ever going to St. John's, but 
I was always paying attention. And that's when you kind of first started your season ticket thing too with the Clippers, right? And it was fun. It, it was kind of like, wait a minute, this team might not be very good, but this could be something. That was when, like I got, uh, when I got league pass. I remember watching a lot of them that one really fun year. It seemed like something was happening with them. Yes. Yeah. And, and and he seemed like he had a chance. It's funny. I remember when I was preparing for the 2013 draft, watching the Giannis highlights of him at the Greek YMCA when he, back when Giannis was like six, eight, thinking that he reminded me of Darius miles. This is before he grew an extra three and a half inches when he got here, but same kind of thing. It's like, what is this? This is something. It's funny how we just get attracted to those guys. Like, ah, there's something, if he can only unlock. But now I look back on Miles, I'm like, what would he have unlocked? I don't know the roadmap for him to be an all-star, but I'm taking But that's why this stuff is so hard. Because, I mean, I couldn't, I'm so glad you said that because there's a version of the Giannis thing where you go, I'm not falling for this again. Right. And there are plenty of teams that also did it. It's like this draft was a draft of redheads and then all the GMs were like blondes from here on out, you know? Right. Giannis we still went, say that? Giannis, Male or female, either way. You know? <laughs> Giannis went 15th, and it seemed like pretty fair. In fact, it seemed yeah. maybe two maybe two spots early. But it was like, all right, yeah, roll the dice with the fucking Greek kid. We'll see. But at that point, he was And that's what the nine. Bucks were doing. That's yeah. what they were like, ah, whatever, we'll, we'll give this one a shot. So um, I like the Miles. And by the way, just I'm, I'm happy for him, too, because we know that it was really rough for him. Yeah. And, you know, we don't know these guys, but I guess I'm with you. I've always had kind of a soft spot for him. I for love some reason. And I'm just, I'm happy that it looks like, you know, he and Q getting the podcast going and all that stuff. I'm just, I'm just happy um, because I, you know, reading into it, it's just sad stuff. So I'm glad for him. One, uh, one thing that's been lost, I think they did a six episode series of the life where they followed the Clippers around, which I can't believe isn't on YouTube. If anyone has this on their VCR or whatever, like, please put this on YouTube for America because it was a lot of like behind the scenes with, with Quinn Richardson and D miles. And I remember them just there's scenes of them getting gas and shit like that. And it was just like, I just want to hang out with these guys <laughs> like these guys. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's rip through this. Who do you have at 11? Um, I'm going to go Mo Pete probably should have gone higher. Yeah. He Another guy should. that went, he went too low. His overall analytics, he holds up. He's like a top seven, top eight guy. And, um, you know, unfortunately for him, I think, you know, he was always kind of an off ball guy, which could leave you out of plays back then a little bit too much. So, you know, you weren't as active We're now off balls, like kind of where you want to be. And he would have been more productive today, but he had a better career. I think than you realize, you know, a lot of these guys would be like, Oh, you know, this guy stuck around. It's easy to forget kind of the second half of some of these careers, but Mo Pete probably should have gone higher. 37% career three point, uh, shooter. I have, uh, Wow, I can't believe he's still here. Joel Prisbilla, I'm grabbing with the 12th spot here. Um, you know, Elgin was a veteran of the lottery process. Line of the night. Joel Prisbilla, just a veteran. <laughs> played, uh, played 13 seasons. Had, you know, a couple moments there with Portland in the 08-09 range when they were doing the two-headed monster thing at center. Um, so in 08 and 09 together, he's playing 23 minutes a game and averaging almost nine rebounds a game. So he's just kind of one of those big white guys who kind of knew how to put his hands up and grab a couple rebounds and could finish a pass in the paint. So 
I'm getting value there with at, at 12 with Prisbilla. You could do a lot worse than Joel Prisbilla the rest of the way in this <laughs> so draft. He's a veteran. Who do you have 13? Another guy that I whiffed on here, Marcus Pfizer. Oh. I was always, I was always, no, I'm not taking him. I just wanted to mention Pfizer, you know, all Iowa State guys, it's kind of like the the Babe Ruth League. You want to check the birth certificate there. But he was only 22 when he came in, but immediately it wasn't going to work. And then everybody's like, why are they taking him with brand? And what I did love about the Bulls, remember Jerry Krause's famous line after they broke everything up in 1998, which really thinking back on it is one of the dumbest things. Like that doesn't get knocked enough for being one of the dumbest thing in the history of modern sports. That in 98, they said, okay, well, fine. Like we're sick of Phil and MJ and this whole thing. And we don't want to be the Celtics. That was a line. Jerry Krause saying, we don't want to be the Celtics and hang on to these guys and then be irrelevant, and then have a forever rebuild. So let's just do this. They take Pfizer. They end up trading Brand to get another pick later on in the in the um, Eddie Curry, Tyson Chandler thing. And from 98, when they won their last title and won 60 games, their next three years, they went 13 and 60. They went 13 and 37, 17 and 65, 15 and 67. They had one second round appearance in the 12 years after that 1998 deal. And they took Pfizer, who I liked, but he was just too small for a power forward then, not quick enough in all those things. He had the ACL tear. He had 31 tattoos in March of 2006. That was the full count there. Also a youth minister. Marcus Pfizer started in 35 games for his career. He was so, also um, turned his life around after he retired. Yeah, youth minister. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he was a pretty, pretty sketchy. As a teammate, I think he was one of those uh, one of one of those guys when he played. It was kind of like stay away from that guy, and not locked in. Yeah, um, early on. Right. Then uh, I'm, turned his life around. I just want to talk about Pfizer a little bit because that's another whiff. I got a, I got whiffs left and right in this one. I think I even like Keon Dueling a little bit more. Dueling might be the call here. I'm going to go Keon Dueling. Okay, it's fair. Could be. Could be a, a ninth man potentially on a, like a second round playoff team. I was going to take Nahara for screens and toughness. I've always had a thing for Eduardo Nahara, but I, I just don't think it's fair to take take him over dueling. Jerome so, Luiso still there. I don't want to end up with Stroh, Miles Swift, and I'm not taking Pfizer or Courtney Alexander. Um, Speedy I'm Claxton. Gonna, well, so I think the right pick here is either Speedy Claxton or Nahara just because they made playoffs. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go off the grid. I'm going to surprise people here. AJ Guyton? I'm going to take... Chris, uh, Chris Carowell? I'm going to take DeMar Johnson. Oh, I see what you're doing there. So, if you look at his first two years... I can't do that. He was... Even, his, even before he had the car accident, he wasn't good. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, I'll take I'll take uh, Speedy Claxton then, because in '03 he actually played crunch time minutes for a team that won the title. When when Parker was still in that like almost like 2008 Rondo version of Tony Parker, when uh, you know those young point guards you can't rely on them every finals game and you you kind of have to need that veteran guy that can come in and kind of right the ship. Speedy Claxton was there, and his. His uh his Spurs stuff, twenty four playoff games a year is fourteen minutes a game. Um, average five a game. That's all I need. He was in the rotation of a finals team. 
So there you go. Uh, I I have him just a nudge over Stroh Swift and Jura Muiza. A couple other names here. LeVar Postel, who I loved. St. John's. Um, I was kind of like Mark, Malik Allen. Malik Allen. Um, Not drafted. I remember Khalid Al-Amin played one season. How about the Bulls after this? I did find some Bulls articles that were bullish on their future. It's like, man, we got Pfizer and Crawford, and we got Guyton, Jake Voskel, and Khalid El-Amin all in, uh, all in well, succession. Well, you mentioned the, the idiotic Bulls rebuild before. It actually worked. They just did it for the wrong drafts. Because you think about it, they the in 99, they got the first pick out in Brand. 2000, they have the fourth pick and the seventh pick. And then in uh, 2001, they flipped Brand for a top three pick and they had another top three pick. So they ended up, they had five top seven picks in a three-year stretch. Although Brand, they turned into one of those. But uh, just really bad luck to have a fourth pick and a seventh pick in the same draft and not only go 0 for 2, <laughs> but it's justifiable that you went 0 for 2. It's like it's like you can't have worse luck than that. Yeah, you actually no one should have no one should have. You know, um Yarick who played for uh the Spurs, I always kind of liked him. He came to the league I think when he was 24, Marco. Oh, I had a whole couple season ticket runs with him. Because he, the first couple of years I had the Clipper tickets, he was pretty competent. I actually liked his game, but he's uh, big too. Like yeah, he, he put a physical. beating on some smaller guys as I would watch. And the only thing I have left on this too is historically, as you've mentioned plenty of times, and it's it's clearly thought out how horrible this is historically. But I was going and looking at the teams that were drafting. Like when you look at the top six teams in this draft, how bad their starting lineups were. Yeah, like this, the basketball isn't even close to being like we know it's better now, and the depth of stars and the exciting storylines and all this stuff. But it's almost easy to forget like where the hell were these teams? Like what were they doing? The Nets. Now that first year, Martin didn't have kid. It was Marbury, and this actually isn't a terrible five, but it's Steph Van Horn, Kenyon, Kendall Gill, who was you know at that point on the way out, and Aaron Williams was just a role guy. Vancouver's team was Sharif Abdurrahim, Bibby. Dickerson was going to get her Othella Big Country. The Clippers had a 21-year-old Odom, Jeff McGinnis, Eric Piedkowski, Olawa Candy, and McGetty was only playing like 19 minutes a game. The Bulls had Ron Mercer, Elton Brand, Artest, but Artest wasn't Artest then no. at all. He was 12 a game. Hoiberg, Bryce Drew was getting fucking real minutes all year long. Um, I mean, the Magic had T-Mac, who at 21 put up a 27-8-5 season, but after him... It was Daryl Armstrong, Grant Hill played four games, Bo Outlaw, D. Brown. Atlanta's lineup was Jason Terry, Ku Coach, 17 games, Matumbo, Jim Jackson, and Lorenzen Wright. These teams, those are 30 guys that were playing the majority of the minutes for those six games or for those six teams. It was a talent swoon. And it lasted. It really was. It lasted basically all the way to 07 08 range. You can even see it if you go back and you read. Some of the trade value columns I did, where you, I'm just laying out what the assets were in the moment, and guys who are like 18 or 20 or 24, it's nuts. You can't believe it. Um, I think once we hit 09, 2010 range, uh, I think things really, really flipped. But you also had, you know, I've written about it a million times about the uh, too much, too fast, too soon era from like 93 through 
99 of all those young guys who just got too much money too fast and just didn't have the careers that they should have had. When you think about the 2000 season, this should have been the peak of Kenny Anderson and, and Big Dog Robinson and guys like that. Some of them made it. Derek Coleman. There are all these blue chip guys that should have been in their absolute heyday and they just weren't. So you're missing like probably nine to 10 blue chippers that should have been awesome. And, and Vin Baker, um, he's already starting to Peter. Sean Kemp's already basically played his way out of the league. And you go on down the line, it's just like, what happened? But that's probably a, a story for another podcast. But that was also too, you remember the lockout and people being like, are you guys kidding me? Like we started this podcast talking about guys staying in better shape. I would imagine I would give most players the benefit of the doubt of, you know, just make sure you're ready. And there's going to be some disappointments. That was the big joke 20 years ago is when a lot of these guys came back from the lockout, they were never the same. Like Sean Kemp physically was never the same person after the lockout. And it's like, well, you just, you just didn't care, but it's, that's a great point though. Uh, I hadn't really thought of it that way. The too much too soon thing. I know you've written about it, but it's just, it's just a good reminder of you have these classes that are all supposed to replace each other, but then you have this group of incredibly talented guys, players we kind of liked and you're like, what, what the hell's going on here? And then you add in this class. And I also noticed too, when you go back and read some of the stuff, um, how many GMs that were running some of this stuff and no one should really be blamed for anything after this kind of class that we just went through. But a lot of these guys never got jobs again. I mean, Billy Knight got the the Atlanta job when everyone in the world knew he was taking Sheldon Williams, Duke five. And you're like, what could you possibly? Like, that shook me for a month. I go back and watch more and more Sheldon Williams. And I'm like, how could anyone take this guy fifth? Like, there's no way this is real. And he took him fifth. And there's some guys taking picks there that would never be given the job to run a franchise the way they had 20 years ago. Well, uh, just give me one movie recommendation before we go. Oh, Bombshell. Liked it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Dude, seriously, Charlize Theron playing Megyn Kelly. Creepy good. How good that is. And, you know, Margot Robbie's, you know, I'm not going to change the channel. I didn't like it as much as you did. I like behind the scenes. You always were away. You always got out of the office. So anything that has to do with like television being on the deal and I was I was in it every day, yeah. roaming the hallways, you know, you were above that. So you didn't have to deal with it as above much. That. I really liked a movie I called uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which is not the most uplifting movie, but I thought it was uh, exceptionally well done and kind of an important movie. So I'd recommend that one. Okay. Um, and then Ozark season one, huge fan. I have... Uh, going backwards movie for you. Okay. Just quickly. I watched Election with my daughter today. I, f- I fast forwarded. I knew there was a couple of like sex things that I had the remote ready just like to pause and then get through it. But uh, how old is she? She's 14. She can handle it. Oh, but yeah, I, yeah. I still, I don't want to be in the same yeah. room with her when stuff's happening. But uh, that movie's a really fun rewatch. No, there's certain scenes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple, but is I, I was on it. It was never an issue. Um, early Alexander Payne, Matthew Broderick had that fun drama run there from, you know, late nineties. He's in, you can count on me a year later, early, early Reese, Chris Klein, just being a doofus before we realized that was like his only move it was like, Oh, look at this actor. And then it's like, Oh, he's not acting. This is just what he's like. <laughs> <laughs> but 
It's a really fun, quirky movie. I hadn't seen in a while. We even did, I think, a rewatchables 99 on it. I wasn't on that one. Um, but uh, I I just, I like the Alexander Payne movies. I've watched that. I watched The Descendants and I watched Sideways during the quarantine. And, and uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not breaking ground by saying that guy's really good. But it was just fun to watch <laughs> all three of those in 10 days and see the progression. Um, I love Sideways. Sideways is like one of my favorite movies of the last 15 years. So there you go. I saw, I saw election in theater, loved it immediately. People thought I was a weirdo cause I was really on it. And I'd be like, you got to see this movie election. You got to see this movie election. And I put like a couple of girls. I mean, you know, I don't know 23, 24, they're like, Ugh, that movie was kind of weird. I'm like, do you not see how like that's how simple it is and perfectly executed. The whole deal is it's great. Like when the kid, who's in the wheelchair, gives the speech, running for president. Vice president, he, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's perfectly like the way he says it. And I'm like, that's high school. That's being in high school and the whole deal. And then- There's you know, good one touches. Of the, yeah, one of the other person, like somebody else is giving a speech and like some pimple-faced, red-headed kids like, eat me raw, like <laughs> right. screams it in the background. And, you just go. and then the guy playing the principal is perfect. He's like, all right, you know, uh, we're not going to do that here. And the principle's perfect, the whole thing. I love Election. And Sideways is funny because I did not like it when I first saw it. I was too young. I was too young to understand how uh, heavy that movie is. It's, it's, I could watch Sideways. Sideways is up there with, with very few movies where I could watch. Because I just started up Shawshank. I just was going through it, wanted to see some scenes. Question for you, tweeted about it. If Red and the crew, his lunch crew there, were close enough to Andy Dufresne to get him on roof tarring duty outside, a couple bottles of suds. Yeah. Where was that crew when the sisters were beating the hell out of him and we know what else was going on? So like, oh, I'm good for tarring, but you guys can't help me out with these dudes? Well, Red says that I do believe those were the worst Two years for Andy, which is being repeatedly raped by the sisters, which I think I would hope that were the worst two years. But uh, yeah, I, would, I, would I think the think. tarring happened after. I think the sisters had gotten kind of tired of Andy at that point. But um, I think the friendships right. with those other guys kind of deepened a little bit later. But, yeah, but they still rigged the, the they still rigged it so that he got picked. So and there's a scene that goes right from that to right to that. All right, so basically what I found is a problem with one of the greatest movies of our lifetime. So I'm just going to Oh, there's a lot of problems. Uh, I don't want to say that because it's too good of a movie. No, it's one of my, obviously one of my five favorite movies ever. But you could really, if you're going to really start nitpicking, you could do it with that movie. Yeah. I still don't know how he knew which way to turn in the sewage pipe. So if he goes left. Because I think the grade. Yeah, I, I I don't think you've worked construction enough. I think of Andy... I, I think you could just, you people can, I could tell if something's level just by looking at it, just years on the site. So okay. I think what he's doing is he's going, I need a certain grade because this is a pipe that's dispensing outwards. He probably just felt the level. I think I would have screwed that up and gone left and then be like, oh, fuck, where is this? Where's this exit? Throw up again. Uh, Rosillo, stay safe. We'll see you in a week. And, uh, and, I don't know what I don't know what the next redraftables with us is going to be, but it, but it, we might end up having to do O three at some point. Maybe, maybe not next week, but at some point. All right, I'll uh, we can listen to your podcast as well, which you'll be doing at least one of this week, 
NFL draft is coming. It'll be the last like real sports we're probably going to have here for a while. But anyway, uh, good seeing you. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the 2000 Redraftables with me and Rosillo. Coming up later this week, the 2001 Redraftables with Zach Lowe. That was an insane draft. Stay tuned for that one. Thanks as always for listening to the Book of Basketball podcast. <laughs> 